Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Roy Lewis to the podcast. Roy is a 1981 graduate of the Western College of Veterinary Medicine and has spent much of his career as a bovine practitioner with an interest in fertility and preventive medicine in Westlock, Alberta. Roy writes extensively for many producer publications, including the Western Producer and Cattleman Magazine, and he's also spent a number of years working as a technical services veterinarian in the veterinary pharmaceutical industry. He has a wealth of experience, and this week we're going to have a chat about breeding soundness evaluations in bulls. Let's get started. Hi, Roy. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Good to be here, John. So before we get into our topic for today, I just maybe ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from. Yeah, Roy Lewis uh, was a farm kid raised uh, just outside of Edmonton and went to the uh, Western College of Veterinary Medicine, graduated a veterinary degree in 1981, and then from there took on, uh, uh, well, I guess worked in a mixed animal practice for virtually my whole career, but really during that did large animal, primarily uh, beef cattle for the vast majority of my practice career. Yeah, you've uh, had a lot of experience and you worked for some pharmaceutical companies and now you're doing work for the Beef Cattle Research Council and other people. So you've had a lot of different hats and jobs over the years. Yeah, it's been it's been fun, uh, you know, to get into different aspects of the of the cattle industry for sure. And uh, uh, now that I'm getting older, I got to do things that are a little easier because I'm slowing down. (laughs) Well, today we want to talk about uh, breeding soundness evaluation on bulls. And you've probably done thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many you've done over the years in your practice life. But let's start with sort of the history of it, because. Uh, you've been in practice for quite a while, and we didn't always do breeding soundness evaluations. It's become more commonplace now. Tell us what you've seen over your career in terms of how that's got implemented more. Yeah, the, yeah. again, graduating in, in uh, 1981, I would say that that was starting to be kind of the infancy of, of uh, one of my professors was Dr. Al Barth, who was one of the sort of gurus of it in the, in the day. And uh, it was just getting started. It was mainly done on... Uh, I guess bulls at that point that it had had issues with uh, with breeding and then they were they were done and it was only two year olds and up typically that were done at that point in time and then over t- over time we we as a veterinary community I think recognized that it was an important thing to do to eliminate the uh, infertile or, or sterile bulls in some cases from breeding batteries so then over time uh it evolved to where most uh, commercial producers were doing every bull every year or at least doing uh, new ones they'd acquired or ones that had had problems and then it ramped up to almost every bull every year and also the uh commercial people that were buying bulls from purebred breeders sort of insisted that they be have uh a semen evaluation done, uh, breeding soundness had done uh, before uh, purchase. So that then pushed it back to we vet, the veterinary community got doing more and more younger bulls and probably more, much to the chagrin of some of the initial ones that thought these bulls were maybe a little bit young, but we kind of worked it back to where we were doing a lot of yearling bulls, realizing that they, were, they weren't passing a lot of their breeding soundness exams when we were doing them at 12 months. But uh, over time, they uh, they did, and and we could pick out the uh, fertile ones earlier, and and that's sort of how it's evolved to this day. Yeah, so now it's pretty commonplace practice, and lots of producers would have their veterinarian out this time of year to 
to get some bulls tested. How about facilities? So as I get older, I sort of think about that more all the time too. What do we need to do this job safely and what can we do if maybe we don't have ideal facilities? Yeah, I uh, yeah, you, you make a very good point. These two two thousand or two thousand plus bull uh, pound bulls sometimes can can wreak havoc. Although I find they're not too bad to handle. But you do need sturdy facilities for sure. A good chute to hang on to them. Some uh, uh, I guess I'm getting spoiled too at my older age, where I like to do lots of them in hydraulic chutes, and that's sort of been my experience over the years. Um, where we don't, may not even catch their heads, but we, we've got them really secured and we can, uh, uh, they won't back over us and that sort of thing. But a good sturdy uh, shoot system and alley lead up to it is probably critical in, in, my, in my eyes. And if people don't have it, what, we're, what we saw is uh, hauling into clinics that are, that are set up to handle these bulls uh, or some, uh, I know our, our clinic in, in the very beginning stages set up appointments at, a, at an auction market and did them there where the facilities were really good, where people would ha- haul in and, and haul back home. But the neighbors get together. We, we just utilize a good facility where we can that's safe. And, and, uh, and there's no issue with we, either the bulls getting hurt or the handlers. Yeah. Well, and doing these breeding soundness exams, it's a lot more than just looking at the semen. Let's start with the overall soundness and evaluation of the bull. What do veterinarians look for when that bull first comes in the chute? Yeah, I, yeah. so the breeding soundness exam is referring to everything. So, I mean, we're really looking at the health of the bull. I think the, the one big thing that we watch uh, when, they, when they come into this chute is, is really their feet and legs and their, their, you know, if there's any lameness or any issues that way. Anything else that might be involved with the health of the bull, because obviously unhealthy bulls, sometimes it's reflected in their semen quality. And of course, lame, lame bulls uh, unable to breed or get around or really make the miles that they need to. So those are the, the key things that we're looking for, I would say, uh, tied in with the, with the final semen sample that we, that we get. So one of the first things we, maybe not the first thing, but one of the things we often do is palpate these bulls and and uh, feel inside them. We can feel their seminal vesicles. Sometimes we get bulls with infections there. What are the options that we have if a veterinarian finds something going on there? Yeah, that's a good point because that's sort of the hidden things that we do find as a secondary uh secondary response to to doing the breeding soundness exam but those yeah the enlarged seminal vesicles there's everything from that i've seen in my career from ones that have literally abscesses where you in fact they're very painful when you palpate them and will will extrude pus right out the the penis uh those are usually culled you know culled bulls uh to ones that are just enlarged a little bit and and most of the you know, I always rely on the technicians, I think, are the best ones when, when we're looking at the semen sample. If they see white blood cells in the semen sample, a lot of times they may be coming from the seminal vesicles. And then, depending on the degree uh, of the infection uh, in the seminal vesicles or some of the other secondary sex glands, we may may or may not put them on antibiotics or may or may not just give them time and then uh, retest them. Some of them will... Uh, the minor ones, as you know, will kind of sometimes get over it themselves, and others, I, you know, there probably hasn't been. I know you're a, a you know renowned researcher, John, and 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 probably the seminal vesicles haven't. There's not enough of them to do a real good research study on whether the antibiotics. Al- I, we as veterinarians feel in some cases that they help 
and we may put them on that and then re obviously retest them for sure to make sure those white blood cells are gone before they're passed on their semen evaluation. Yeah, it's a difficult one to study just because we can't get enough of those bulls together in one place to look at different options. Well, let's move on to scrotal circumference. That's often one of the first things we do after we have a look at the bull's feet and eyes and things like that. Why do we measure scrotal circumference? What's the point of that? Yeah, so the scrotal circumference over the years, and I, I really believe in these minimal standards that the uh, the breeds have. So they're basically a, a measure that uh, we can used to evaluate the size of the testicles and then from that hence probably the semen production although we we do know that if they get bigger and bigger and bigger they don't necessarily always produce more more semen but there are minimum standards set for the different breeds i think they're super accurate because of the fact that you know i have tested some that are right at the minimum and usually they fail or if they're below they definitely fail because uh, we'll, we'll sometimes try them if they're one centimeter off the minimum um, so that's why we do that it's a, and it's an easy relatively easy thing to do even the producers can do it and have a really good idea of which bulls are going to be culled uh, and uh, it's very repeatable now with the reliable uh, scrotal tape that uh, Dr. Barth invented years ago that spring loaded. And so producers, veterinarian A, B, or C should give you almost the same scrotal circumference when it's measured, at least in Canada. Right. And there's some differences in the U.S. Maybe talk about that a little bit, how they measure scrotal circumference there. Yeah, I... I uh... I don't want to get down on my U.S. counterparts, but they they are taught a little different method to uh, measure the scrotum. And that's basically just laying the tape around and kind of snugging it up, but not compressing the scrotal skin. And in my experience, a bull that's measured by a you know competent veterinarian in the States will measure about two to four centimeters bigger than what I might get the method we use in, in uh, Canada. And, and surprisingly enough, I just have, I talked to a young gal from Australia and they measure the same way we do in Canada. So that was news to me. I didn't know which way they measured and uh, they are using the same technique with the same tapes as we are uh, in Australia. So interesting stuff. Interesting. Well, as we're doing that, uh, veterinarians often palpate the testicles of those bulls and sometimes they may find that they're soft or there's other things going on there. What what are they looking for there? Yeah, so the the uh, when we're when we're there is enough variation, I guess, in in the hardness of the testicles. But if if we and and it's usually noted on the form if we find ones that are soft, we're always thinking or watching for, I guess, testicular degeneration. And some of them you can actually almost see that the scrotum was quite a bit bigger at one time and now there's a lot of really loose skin and those testicles are quite small in there they usually feel quite soft and spongy and so it's a really kind of subjective measurement but i mean that that will be reflected in the scrotal circumference and then you know the the final test will be the amount of or the type of uh, sperm that we get out of that bowl uh, and, and then we can really, you know, put the nail in the coffin if it is a true testicular degeneration, because I've seen severe ones that really, really shrink in a quick period of time. And, uh, again, pretty subjective, but it still gives us a really good guide on, on, uh, there may be something going on with those testicles. So that's brings us to the next step where we actually try to get a semen sample from these bulls and, 
Most veterinarians are using electroejaculators that have got a lot better over the years. Do you want to comment on how those have improved and how important it is to use that equipment properly and stress-free in the bulls? Yeah, so the, the uh, and I've seen quite a change in them, you know, probably three to four to five models, and that's over quite a period of time, granted, but uh, the, the initial ones that came out even probably a little before my time had electrical um, metal bars that would, would uh, stimulate both up and down around the whole probe. The probe's circular, looks like a torpedo, if you like, uh, that goes in the, in the rectum. And now they've got that down to some of them only have two bars on the bottom. I've, I've found, and you, you can see this in the bulls, they're just way smoother, uh, way less... Um, you know, spinning out, moving, even bellering the odd time over the years. And then the machines themselves have gotten uh, way smoother in their operation of, of just slowly bringing the bull up uh, to, to get the sample. Uh, and that's really allowed, uh, I think, veterinarians to kind of, it's almost the art of semen evaluation or semen extraction, I guess, is that some of the breeds I find are a little more sensitive than others, and so they can be brought up really slowly and collected at a, at a really low a low level. So when we do that uh, procedure, we often get a chance to look and examine the penis. What are we looking for there? Yeah, and this this really is is uh, something that is really comes to play with the, with the purebred breeders as yearlings because there's there's things called frenulums which are a kind of ligamentous attachment from the prepuce to the to the uh, to the penis uh, that we'll find in a low percentage of bulls but still it can cause uh, the inability to totally get erect or it, they can break their penis when they're trying to breed uh, to warts uh, to even hair rings from bulls that ride one another a lot. Those three things are the main things that I'd be looking for at on, um, on especially in, immature, like yearling bulls or two-year-old bulls, bulls that are kind of semen tested for the first time. Uh, older bulls, we're looking for things like cuts, and sometimes there's uh, – uh, a cut that is has caused uh, an adhesion between the prepuce and the penis, and again they have the inability to extend the penis. So we're looking for things like that. Uh, all of those things would render kind of a bull infertile from inability to breed in a lot of cases. So they can. The, the nice thing is on the yearling bulls, most of those things can be corrected, and that bull can go on to be a good breeder. If it is a hair ring cut off, if it's a wart taken off, uh, most cases successfully, and if it's a frenulum cut. So all those three things have a kind of a good overall end if we find them in time. Right. Those are usually fairly easy to fix uh, unless it's a really bad extensive wart situation that might be tougher, but, uh, yeah. but usually they're pretty easy. What does it mean if we don't get a bull to protrude while we're trying to collect them? Yeah, and this is a big thing. Probably has a little bit of variation on how veterinarians handle this when they're doing the breeding soundness exam because there's, uh, I know, thought out there that, you know, some will not even pass one if it doesn't protrude. Uh, there's merit in that. I mean, we don't know why he doesn't protrude, so a lot of times it's, most of the time, in my opinion, it's it's on especially the older bulls are kind of what I call fighting the machine. We just can't seem to get enough enough uh, stimulation to them to protrude, and they instead of protruding the penis, they retract it. Uh, that is a pretty low percentage of the bulls that we test, but the the way the way we kind of can get around that is we can 
after the semen evaluations are done is maybe bring that bull back in and tranquilize and make sure that he can extend the penis. I guess the big worry with veterinarians is, is if, if there's a reason why he can't protrude, we want to try to figure out what that is because if he can't protrude, he can't breed and, and, and uh, successfully introduce semen into the vagina of the cow and, and as a result, uh, no, no fertility. So it can be a bad news situation in some cases. The good news is most of the time it is them just fighting the machine and that's the reason for the non-protrusion. Well, so now we've got a semen sample, and what are the major things that we're looking at there when we get that sample out? So, so most of uh, most of the veterinarians are there. A lot of times, again, the technician is a really a good uh, integral part of the breeding soundness exams. I find in most of the large animal clinics. So she'll she'll I mean I say she just because most of the technicians are female, but it could be anyone that's helping you or yourself if you're doing the whole thing yourself. You're, yeah, you're looking for the the concentration of the semen, and then we're looking at initially under the microscope the motility, so the ability of the semen to uh, swim and the percentage that are kind of alive, and then from there we stain that sample and and look at the morphology or the defects of the semen. So we want Really lively sperm that has a rap, you know, even ideally a rapid swirl uh, in, in most of the age bulls. Uh, I mean, you can get slow swirl. There's varying degradation of that. But the, uh, the and then with the staining, the morphology, we want more than 70% or more sperm that are normal on the morphology. So the morphology is looking at the sperm under higher power and the microscope. They're stained, they're, they're dead, and, and we can have a really look good look at them, and we're just looking for all kinds of defects. And there's many defects you can get out there, but again, the vast majority of the bulls that pass need to be 70% or more on the morphology part of the exam. Right, and some of those defects may be more temporary than others, and some of them are more permanent. That can sort of change our decision on, on what category we put them in, so... Usually at the bottom of the form, at least in Western Canada, we have kind of three major categories we lump these bulls into. Failure, pass, and decision deferred. So can you explain what those mean and especially that decision deferred category? Yeah, the, I mean, the pass one means that they passed all the categories for for motility and, and morphology and, and, you know, again, feet and legs, all those other things that we might uh, deem them non uh non-fertile for let's say and then uh the uh you know the past is where they have really really failed in a category we we as veterinarians do not think will improve and the decision deferred one are those one of those sort of gray ones if you like on the on the fence some a lot of times they may be the young bulls that we just need a little more time on uh but they they've failed one of those categories but we, we in the veterinarian's eyes feel that they will probably, or there's a good chance, or they could improve, so we're going to retest them at a, at a later date, uh, usually a few weeks later, to see if that problem has, has gone away. Or it may be something that uh, I mentioned about the warts and the, the frenulums and stuff. A lot of times we'll, we'll sort of decision defer that bulk because we want to retest it to make sure the warts are totally gone where everything's healed up and then and then carry on from there. So it's a good category. It's not a co- condemnation of the bull. And there's, uh, again, the veterinarians are, ver- I think, really good at sort of the prognosis. So 
if there's a decent chance they're gonna, it's gonna improve, they will just dis- decision deferred it. If there's almost no chance, they'll probably just outright fail a bull. As you said, many of those young bulls might get put into that decision deferred category. How young a bull can we actually test, and what should we expect in those bulls that are right around that age of puberty? Yeah, I. I think my my age is starting to show because as as we get older, we kind of realize that we're pushing some of these bulls a little bit. I think and and uh, um, my my la- line in the sand, although it's not a, an ideal one, and I have seen bulls pass before that, but I mean they definitely have got to be over a year of age. But I always say it kind of like this: that and right on the the semen form, the western bovine semen form, they've got the percentage of bulls that are likely to kind of fail or have a decision deferred at 12 months is quite a bit more than 13 months is more than 14 is more than 15. So huge change between 12 and 15 months. So in an ideal world, I'd like to do all yearlings at 15 months and older, but that's me. So we use, you know, there's usually younger ones and we do get pushed. I've even had a few that they've wanted to test just before a year of age, I'll test them. I'll say there's unlikely they're going to pass. Some do. The odd odd one is really early maturing, but better to do them older. And that's, uh, you know, you're not condemning bulls that just haven't reached full puberty yet and, and, and got ready to go. So uh, that's my sort of take on it. So going back to Dr. Barr's thing in the old days where two-year-olds, you know, I can kind of see why he was there. That was a huge change from doing two-year-olds to, to long yearlings, and then we pushed it even further to go back closer to 12 months. Better to do it 15 months and, and older, ideally. These semen evaluations aren't a guarantee of fertility, though. So what other factors can impact how successful that bull is at getting cows pregnant? Yeah, so, the, the, yeah, we can always, we always in our careers know the bulls that just pass in every single category, and then we, and then they, you know, they say that the fertility was poor, and and then you find out he, uh, you know, slept under a tree all summer or something. He just got in the gate. And and so libido is, is a big thing. And, well, t- I mean, two things to me. One would be, and probably the one that's a little more uh, higher up on the list, is sort of inability to breed. Just cannot seem to figure it out. So, uh, you know, have the desire, want to kind of mount, but mounting the head of the of the cow or doing all these crazy things. And we've all, we've all, you know, scratched our heads watching young yearlings try to breed where some breed in a, a matter of seconds and others just can't seem to get it. So that inability to breed and then some of, especially the older bulls, uh, uh, sometimes libido goes and, and so they just don't have that desire and or that's tied in with sometimes back problems uh, that are pretty subtle, uh, but you know, they, they just can't seem to mount the cow. So those, those would be the two main things that I would, I would think about, John. Right. Libido can be impacted by, by a bunch of different things, but there, then there's occasionally things that happen after we've semen test them that can affect the fertility as well. Right. So just because we tested it on that day and it was fertile that day, doesn't mean he's going to stay that way for the whole breeding season. Yeah, and I, I think, and, and getting back a little bit to that initial question you asked me on, you know, where, where it sort of evolved, I, I'm finding now uh, there's even more uh, producers that, you know, buy a bull, let's say, in, at a sale in March, but they're really not using them till May or June. They get them home, they get them accustomed to things, and they will often throw them in with their bull battery to just be retested. It doesn't mean that they were, they were you know, the people in March that, 
sold the bull were wrong, something's happened. And sometimes the stress of even the bull sale transportation, getting used to a new environment, new uh, new surroundings, new uh, buddies in the bullpen type of thing, new type of feed, uh, some of that fertility can fall off. And it's good to, good to pick it out. Again, that doesn't mean that he's going to be no good. He may come along and improve after that, but it's more and more are doing that. And I think it's it's wise, a wise thing to do if, if that time frame has gotten pretty long. Or he could have got hurt. Something could have happened. Thank you so much for doing this with me today. I really appreciate the time you took and uh, all the good advice. You've got so much experience in this, and it's great to have you on the show. So thank you. It's nice. My first podcast, John, so I'm going to write this one up. Oh, thank there you. you go. Great. Thanks. That's our show for this week. Thanks to everyone for listening to the podcast, and thanks again to my guest, Dr. Roy Lewis. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers, and the Beef Cattle Research Council. We'd always appreciate feedback on the show, so if you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email me at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care until next time. <laughs>